This episode of Vintage Stormfront Freaks has been previously recorded. Awesome. Hey, we are really excited to have Ginger Z on for uh, today. She's the chief meteorologist at ABC News, reporting on the nation's weather on Good Morning America, also known as GMA, right? Ooh. And across ABC News broadcasts and digital platforms. Now, prior to joining ABC News, she was a meteorologist at the NBC station WMAQ Channel 5 in Chicago from 2006, 2011. So now you can kind of guess her age, just messing with okay. <laughs> uh, Before that assignment, Z has worked at Wood TV up in Michigan, up in the Kalamazoo area, where I worked with one of uh, her chiefs there as mm-hmm. a part of Storm Team Team 8 in Grand Rapids. Uh, Z has also storm chased since college as a genuine passion for the atmosphere and a dedication to getting young people interested in science, starting at like mm-hmm. two years of age, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We already, my son was reading my science magazine just today. (laughs) She is an Emmy Award winning meteorologist and attended Valparaiso University and holds a Bachelor of Science degree in meteorology. So she's not just another pretty face. (laughs) She has recently authored a New York Times bestselling autobiography, Natural Disaster. I cover them. I am one. I love that title. Thank you. Thank you. It was the easiest part of the book to write. <laughs> so are we going to have a hand signal from you if you happen to go like right into labor right away or something? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It'll be like this. <laughs> so what, I'll ask you on that note, uh, just quick. Uh, sorry, Maz. I thought that was your question. But uh, so, so we, the idea was originally to have you on, uh, to celebrate Women in Science Day, which is February 11th, because yeah. I, I know you're you're big into promoting uh, STEM programs for girls. And my, my question, I guess, to start off, because we won't have you specifically for that show, but what, I guess, what advice would you have to encourage, you know, more girls and young women to get into science or, or more specifically meteorology? Yeah, especially the first 10 years of my career at every local station I was at, I made it a like a huge part of my job that I would go to schools. And that's where I fell in love with watching not just, you know, young girls, but young children fall in love with what I loved. And so it was nice to see, you'd always see at least one or two of them really get into it. And then now I'm starting to see the payoff. It's so strange. I got an email from a girl who had I think she's 18, and she said, you know, you came to my first grade class or something like that. I'm like, oh, my God, it's <laughs> happening to me already. <laughs> yeah. um, but I inspired her, and now she's going to college. She's going to OU in the fall, and she just – she knowing that you have that opportunity of responsibility, that's something that I feel every single day. My advice would be learn as much as you can as early as you can, because I think in, in, in meteorology especially, it's such a broad science. There's so many places that you can go within meteorology with the degree, which is a beautiful thing. But I think when you start to narrow down what you want to do, you got to go and do it with the people that are there. So whether it's job shadows or internships, those are the most crucial parts. And if you're 14, I don't think it's too early to start knocking on people's doors and, you know, tweeting them and saying, is there any way I can drop by with my parents and learn what you do? Because if you can start weeding out that thing that you do or do not want to do early on, I think that's so helpful. Do you, Uh, do you remember when you went to schools, did you have like a specific 
you know, shtick or whatever that you did every single time? Oh, yeah. We did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, well, it, it's funny because at Wood TV, we had kind of a production that was actually really cool. It was, they had big graphics and huge, we brought a tornado with us and it was like bringing a museum to the schools. Um, and we had a huge show with lightning and it was wild. Uh, but when I did it by myself, I evolved it over time. And I, I want to say it was quite exciting. I showed a lot of great videos and cool graphics. And I, I feel like the kids, you know, I, I had certain physical things that I'd have them come up and do. And depending on their age group, I had different, you know, angles and ways that I went about it. Um, but at the end of it, I always felt like, I hope they, you know, at least they picked up something. And if they were fourth grade or above, they already know that the sun heats the earth. They already kind of have an idea. So you, you were able to go a little farther. And those were kind of my favorite ages, that fourth to seventh grade before they get way too much attitude. <laughs> right, right, they're right, like, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're excited to learn and they're, but they're really smart already. And, uh, you know, I have, I have young siblings too. So I was able to kind of practice on them. You did they tech. make you any gifts? Like I did that for oh, my yeah. kids' school one day, and they made me the sweetest gifts. Yes. Oh my gosh! I always oh great yeah. gifts, great yeah. cards. Mm. There were there were so many times where I would have the pictures sent later with you know like they would do the macaroni around the sides, and I'd have like framed. When I was in Chicago, oh, yeah. I did three a week. Every single week I was there. Wow, so, really? Right. That's yeah. a lot. And, and wow, that is a lot. I dedicated basically a whole day to it usually. I'd go from, you know, I'd always try to make the suburbs close, but in Chicago the traffic was so bad yeah. that mm -hmm. by the end of the day I'd be more exhausted than any shift I had done. <laughs> yeah, oh, I bet. Teaching is so hard. Every time I'm around a teacher, I'm like, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I think what I loved so much, and maybe you too, Ginger, was the questions they had. Yeah. You know, and, and the stories. They always had a story. Always. It was always... Well, I remember there was a storm yep. and lightning struck, yep. closed, and they'd have these elaborate stories. Right. And then you knew it's like, you know what? Maybe we have a couple. It was yeah. a couple in the class that really have a passion for this. So I just love the stories. More I than like anything. it now when I'll have adult producers ask me similar questions to what the kids <laughs> they they do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, I've actually, yeah. Those, <laughs> And not to take away from our producers, they are brilliant in a lot of ways, but, but the world of weather is a very mysterious place to many people. That's so, why they have you. Mm -hmm. Yep, that is why you're an expert. But it's even like, and there'd always be one little boy usually at a certain age group, like the second to fourth grade, where he'd say, what if two tornadoes came and fought each other? And he'd like, that's, yeah. Wait, what that's was my question. I was just going to ask you that. Right? <laughs> Wow. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, but there's always a teaching teachable moment out of that. That's the beauty of it is, you know, you always and I think that that always helped my my on air ability because everybody is a second or third grader level in mm -hmm. in a that's lot of true. ways and not without making it without making it boring or um, mm -hmm. you know, speaking down to them. I never did that. I was always with the kids, like with them understanding it and it helped me understand it better and I always say I think the school talks helped storm chasing was invaluable in my experience and, and ability to be better on television but then when I got to ABC probably my the, the thing that capped everything off for me as far as understanding the atmosphere better and just being in it was was paragliding and I know that's a very strange like transition hmm. but that is one of the other things that I know anybody who's who's flown an airplane has felt. But I think there was even a difference in really. I got into paragliding enough so that I was able to do it in three different places across the world, 
And oh my gosh. It was, it was unbelievable experiences. And to be able to be in the atmosphere flying at one point off the Himalayan foothills with a vulture eating out of my hand and watching birds <laughs> circling me. <laughs> and oh riding riding thermals and watching for the thermals and then circling them up. I'd yeah. never I'd never understood the atmosphere, even though I knew it. I'd never understood it at that level. When we were flying to 10,000 and then above 10,000, you could feel the difference and you're physically, you're open to mm -hmm. it. You're, you're a bird. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is the, I always say like when I talk to, you know, kids who want to do this or they want to be better on TV. <laughs> I know paragliding is kind of extreme, but I actually yeah, think yeah. it, it uh -huh. <laughs> but it really did help me. So from school talks to, you know, storm chasing, and then I'd say being up, in the atmosphere. So how did storm options. chasing help you? How did that storm help chasing? I mean, when I went to college and I had, I had always wanted to be in the weather when I was, you know, young and outside and I always enjoyed thunderstorms, but it's different when you're creating a forecast and there's, there's value to it. So we had a whole in at Valpo, they have a storm chasing group and then they have like a meteorology fraternity. And so we had a group that if we had a day chase and something looked good, we would forecast for it. We would drive to what, you know, Eastern Iowa and be able to go hmm. see a severe thunderstorm or a line of whatever or a tornado. And so to have that ability to, to not only just forecast it, but then to go and watch it come to fruition or not. Um, exactly. <laughs> That feeling the environment, tasting the environment around it, smelling it. When you feel the low-level jet and you smell it on a day that you're going to have a big outbreak, uh, it's it's unlike anything. And, and that experience versus having it in a book or reading it about it or knowing it from a radar is so different. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you're in eastern Iowa or anywhere now, you could you can taste the weather because there's pig yeah. farms everywhere. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> or even Omaha. <laughs> hey, I grew up there. Easy. I know. I live there too. <laughs> that's right. I forgot. Great hero. The, the flying part you said is great because that's I, where I started before mm -hmm. meteorology. But it, it's true. Like um, to be in a thermal or mm -hmm. to see how what you feel at it at an upper level compared yeah. to the surface is how it's all so connected. And oh, it's so I mean something just clicks your brain. Yeah. Like I think that's where you get that click that. Mm -hmm. that light bulb moment, I guess you want to call it. But yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I finally found somebody else who knows yeah. <laughs> that. And in, in paragliding, you, you have the upslope, like on the sides of the mountains, that's what gets people in trouble a lot of times, but up and down slope on each, you know, and you do have to really know the mountainsides. These guys who, who I was with are flying in the world cup of paragliding. So they're the best of the best. Uh, <laughs> and we were just doing it in all these different mountain ranges. I did it in the Andes. I did it in the Southern Rockies in Mexico and in the Himalayas. And to watch them magically traverse these mountains mm. with their bare, you know, yeah. just only having two pulleys is, is very powerful when it comes to knowing, like they know more about meteorology than probably everybody because yeah. <laughs> they have to, to save their own life. <laughs> well, like a particle in the atmosphere, yes. basically, you know, yep. so they, they have to know all that. That is so mm -hmm. awesome. So how'd you get started in that? How'd you start to paraglide? So when I got to ABC, uh, we had had a slow kind of fall. I had been hired in the fall and early winter, and really it was like a drier winter. We didn't have a ton. And one of my producers on the weekend, the, the executive producer, he was like, 
I just, I don't know why, but you seem you like you love storm chasing, whatever. Would you consider going on this World Cup of paragliding? I've tried, and every correspondent and every anchor laughs in my face. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So he's like, you know, jump off a mountain and risk your life for television. And I'm like, that sounds great. Uh -huh. um, so, Young, so, no kids, sure. Yeah. So the first one I went to was in Mexico. We flew into Mexico City and then um, it was at Valle de Bravo, which is where all the monarchs actually do their um, annual, you know, come together uh -huh. moment. Migration, yeah. Migration, yeah. yeah. And it, so I got to do two stories. I got to do the migration of the, the monarchs, and that's how we got a twofer, which is always good because if, if you can sell, sell the executives on, oh, I'm going to get another story out of it. Um, <laughs> and that was another thing where you, where you found, you know, when you connect nature to anything in weather and this, yeah. this truly magical place in Mexico where these monarchs have been going for eons, there's a reason they go there. And we don't know the exact reason, but I can tell you after flying off the mountains there that there's a special something in the air there. There's a special, you know, so it, that was the first time I got to do it. And I had so much fun that I got kind of intertwined with these groups. And then we kept pitching the stories and just made the angle a little different on each one. <laughs> that Butterfly. sounds cool. It's glad, it's really cool they let you do it too. Yeah. And then I got to do hang gliding and it started a whole role of things where I skydiving live I did you know I've done tons of adventures I got to take a drone into a fissure of an, a volcano in Iceland and we took this geologist with us and he was seeing things in the volcano that he had been studying forever and this was the first time because of drone technology that he was able to actually take measurements and be inside the fissure of a volcano. Oh my gosh. So like, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it was, that was one of my favorite assignments too. And talk about when schools and teachers afterward, they were like, that was so, and parents wrote me, they were so happy with what we were doing because it was real science on morning television but it was visually stunning. Like you can't get better than being on a glacier <laughs> with volcanic yeah. oh with lava God. blowing up all Sounds over. Sounds like you got a pretty kick-ass job. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. So <laughs> so let me, so what's what's ahead. next? Do you take a hand glider into a volcano? I mean, how do you? Yeah. <laughs> no, Don't I, tell her that. <laughs> Don't worry, the, the executive big, producer. No. So I, I, I'm going to switch gears a little bit on you, Ginger, because obviously you've gone more on a national scale now. I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint and really more from just a, a pure forecasting mm -hmm. uh, view, what do, you, what do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy having to forecast on more of a larger scale or, or do you enjoy the, the forecasting on, on more of that local scale? I miss, I miss the ability to have responsibility to one area. Um, so when I was in Chicago, I was there for five years. That's a solid amount of time to get people to respect what you do and, and think that they can trust you. That was a nice feeling to have. Um, but the, I don't miss the stretches of 10 days in the summer where absolutely nothing happened. And it was like, yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> so, so, but, but I, I do miss having that, you know, the Twitter interaction with a mom who says, I saw your severe thunderstorm warning and um, we went in the basement and now we lost our roof or whatever it is. That connection was really important to me and, and it's something that I miss and the responsibility of that. Um, on a large scale, what I love on the national scale is the ability to, whether it's you know the fissure of a volcano and bringing science into people's homes, 
Um, or just knowing that every morning we, I'm learning still because you can't know the whole nation and the whole globe. But every time we're doing something big, whether it's the mudslides recently or especially with like Harvey, I was in touch with the local meteorologist at our ABC affiliate and they've been there for 30 years. And I'm talking to them about the, you know, I'm, I'm learning such idiosyncrasies about all of these places that I would have never been able to do. And I love that. I'm enjoying mm -hmm. it so much. I know more about the watershed in Houston mm -hmm. than I should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I bet. And I couldn't share half of it on GMA just in the time that I had, but because Travis Herzog, you know, was there to, he, I spoke with him for a half hour a night. If he would give me the time, I would take it because I, I wanted to be informed and I wanted to be able to say that one thing that then he could pick up, you know, people could pick up and that mattered to the whole nation. So it's a much different job, but I like them for different reasons. Was it difficult it, to transition? Oh yeah, I <laughs> that, yeah. that part. Luckily, I had done a lot of MSNBC before and early yeah. today, um, so I had had this kind of hidden. That was the job that started at probably three a.m. I think, <laughs> <laughs> and and so I had had kind of the national feel, but nothing like this. Nothing where it was right. just headline, headline, headline. So I've you know my job has really become on a daily basis. What's the video that's going to tell the story the best? That's what I search yeah. for. The quickest, too. Yeah. The right. quickest right. in 15 seconds, in 30 seconds. And then can you give them anything? Can you teach even one little lesson or one tidbit? And that's what I, you know, if I've achieved that, then I use this as a platform for all of these other things, for, yeah. for all of the other adventures and um, scientific places I can bring people on those special assignments. Awesome. Well, Ginger, tell us. If you didn't do TV, what do you think you would like like to do? Would did like you outside think, of meteorology? Yeah, well, yeah. no, like uh, with like within meteorology. So, did uh, you ever think maybe National Weather Service or NOAA or? I think I'd be in education. I really, I mean, like yeah. research and education, because that's where I had originally thought I would go. I I'm a, even my freshman year, I think I saw other people going to get their master's and PhD and then working for universities in the research. I think I would have liked that quite a bit. You still get to be in the field. You still get to do the field work, um, but you're contributing to this great, you know, science. Yeah. It's all, yeah. That's the part that's like, it's just pure science. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I did not want to do more math. <laughs> no, exactly. Me neither. I didn't want to do any more math. The math. I don't think the math was, I could have done more math. I don't know. Oh, God bless more you. math? Oh my no. goodness. No I didn't way. like the idea that math. then it got into more chemistry and stuff. I, I don't yeah. know that I was ready to cross <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Transition no, into that. No, 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 That's no, no, why no. I drink is because of the math. <laughs> <laughs> Maz, what math do you do nowadays, huh? Yeah. Well, he's one, a financial advisor. One, he oh, no. <laughs> I double things. Well, let, uh, Gina, let me just ask you this: What? So you got your new book out. What? I, I, I guess what inspired you to do that now? To, to mm -hmm. get it out now? I mean, other than of course, Cha-Ching. <laughs> why now what inspired you to even do that book well it's so funny you say cha-ching my agent told me right when i told him i want to write a book he's like you know books are not where you make money i was like <laughs> oh well, okay my initial intent was actually i was having adrian and i wanted to write a board book because i was starting to pick up baby books and i'm like there's no baby book about weather and i thought how perfect in time in my life i i wanted to give about 60 words and a bunch of pictures that's what i was ready to do um, and i'm in the publisher and they said well board books are really difficult for first time authors 
authors. What if you thought about taking that, because I was talking about a character, Helicity, which is a character that I've had in my head. Oh, I love it. That's a great yeah. name. She Thank spins you. around. Yeah, she does. Um, you have to have it's a girl now. That's right. It is. You gotta have a girl now, Ginger. Oh, I know. I know. I told my husband that I wanted to have a girl and name her Helicity. He was like, "Absolutely not." So I was like, "Fine, I'll, I'll, we'll do it for a character in a book." So anyway, <laughs> the, the publisher said, "Write it for a middle school age." That's the those. That's who buys books, and that's mm -hmm. who reads books. So I sold the idea of a trilogy, um, a, and it's called Chasing Helicity, and it comes out actually in April. Um, and so as I'm talking to them about that book and I'm writing that book, I start talking about my personal life and my storm chasing and all of these things. And they were like, that's a book. And I said, really? I don't know. And then they called it a memoir. And I was like, oh, I don't <laughs> memoir's that's not old. right. It, sound, it sounds like you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there going to be like a sequel? Like Helicity goes into the mall? There's three Helicities. So there's, there are three different books that'll be. Helicity meets Cape. Yep. <laughs> wow. There's a love triangle between them and wow. Yeah, oh God. Um, <laughs> so, on line one. Yeah. So, what's, so what's, are they all going to come out this year? Those so three? the no, not all of them in a row. Okay. So I'm actually writing the second one fully now, um, and or we're in the midst of it. So the first one comes out late April, and I think they must be on six month. Thing. Good. Uh, yeah, so it's exciting. But anyway, that's where it came from. And then as I was writing it, um, it just started flowing into a totally different direction with personal things that had happened to me. And that's what the book became. It became kind of a, a, a series of wild stories about real natural disasters that I'd covered and the natural disaster that I was in my personal life. <laughs> oh, good. So right. tell, I guess, tell our listeners how they can follow you on social media and yeah. also where they can find your book. Find your book, yeah. Yeah, and I love, I mean, social media is a huge part of my life. I love interacting. So I'm at ginger underscore Z-E-E -E on Instagram and uh, Twitter. And then um, on Facebook, Ginger Z TV. And so. you've got a couple followers, right, Ginger? Just, just yeah. <laughs> like like just 17, mil. right? Yeah. Like no. A couple, yeah. <laughs> I, I am grateful for all of them. I think it's it really started, I mean, the interaction, especially on Twitter. Twitter's like a, a big place where I just constantly have interaction with folks. I love doing that because it gives me, it still feels like I have a touch on what's happening a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course it can go awry and go badly, and then it can go very well. <laughs> do, you, do you find it hard to put your phone down then, since you're doing all that stuff, and you're like, gotta stay connected? And yeah, that's the one thing. You know, last year was my resolution was to kind of be focused on where I'm at and and put it down when I'm at home and not. But it is so hard. There are times yeah. where it's I say, like a drug. It is. No, it's a total it's drug. Crack. <laughs> it is. So are you down to like 20 hours a day now? Or? You know, I did that. I, I used that app for one day that tells you how much you use your phone. And I was so embarrassed I had to turn it off. Oh, <laughs> oh really? Yeah. App off. You turn the app off. Right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Tonight we welcome Emmy winning storm chaser Jeff Petrowski. He's become a storm chasing legend, documenting and filming well over, get the 900 tornadoes giddy up no wow. kidding 24 hurricanes ice storms wildfires and every other kind of extreme weather jeff's company storm productions holds the world's largest private collection of historic weather events and survivor stories 
Back in 1994, he received an Emmy for Day of Tornadoes for his coverage of the Gainesville, Texas F2 tornado. Now, this one is more recent. If you were one of the 600,000 viewers watching <laughs> Jeff's heart-pounding periscope of Hurricane Harvey footage, you were in the record-setting scope of replays, and get this, of 1.6 million replays. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ain't too shabby, buddy. Do you have a T-shirt that says I have a death wish or something? Or uh, I, I have a shirt though that says I survived. Uh, you know, uh, Blue Shed Strong. You know, Hurricane Harvey. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, uh, well, it, it made it made the records. For Jeff, sure. with all these, like, I mean, it's probably hard to ask this question, but like, what's the one that really sticks in your mind the most? Hurricane or tornadoes? Any of them. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, why it's all, hard. They all stick in your like, mind. They was there all... ever one that stuck in your head because you felt like you're in the most danger or was just so uh, unbelievably spectacular? Well, I mean, there's guys, to be honest with you, there's probably, you know, I got top 20 or top 100 countdown. Um, I, boy, tornado wise, Joplin, absolutely. You know, yeah. the F, F5 ripping through the city, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Uh, the amount of the sheer damage and scope of injuries and fatalities of that event, which, you know, watching that at, at ground zero, literally watching the city get leveled in front of me, that was heart wrenching, gut wrenching. And then going and pulling people out of the rubble was, uh, oh. was horrible. You know, God, all the Oklahoma City, at, you know, the big monster tornadoes, the F3 99, F5 and 99, you know, the more first, second, third tornadoes, the Reno monster, uh, you know, really monster tornado. Gosh, the list just goes on. You got uh, Laverne. You had the Dodge City event, you know, a couple years back that was incredible. Uh, Allison, and then you think about the early days, April 26, 91, you had the, uh, gosh, you had the Andover tornado. You had the Billings Red Rock tornado. I filmed those uh, early on. I chased all the way back to Tulsa and filmed the uh, Westport tornado. I then filmed the Sky Tick tornado Collinsville just north of my house here. So those are all just epic outbreaks. They're just unbelievable. Uh, but there's so many. Um, you know, a lot of times it's it's not it's not just the talent gets hit. It's it's the people effects for a, a long period of time. But I've seen a lot of unfortunately, unfortunately, I've been um, around a lot of big monster outbreaks, and uh, it's a uh, well, it's hard to put it in perspective because all of them are so unique and different. They're all spectacular. I mean, in, in their own right. I mean, they're, they're all very so. Jeff, is there one where you you remember like I shouldn't be here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's been a couple of those situations. Um, yeah. Uh, the two that come to mind, um, there's there's um, a lot of people know about this, so this will be something new tonight. I haven't revealed before. Uh, after the April, um, uh, you know, we had the, the more tornado, and after that, you had the multiple tornadoes go across the west side of Oklahoma City Metro. And one of the things is that after we had the Oklahoma City tornadoes, is that going over to the west side and and filming the, the Piedmont tornado, and then going out in the country, uh, which then turned into the molehole, big, huge uh, wedge tornado. I had satellite tornadoes around it after dark, uh, around 10 o'clock at night. I found myself on a country road, and I stopped to help a farmer that was taking refuge. Um, his mobile home had blown away, and he was literally oh, hanging on to a telephone pole. While I'm talking to this individual, here comes like the another tornado starts about now a couple hundred yards south of us. We're watching it, and, and he's hanging on a tree. He's got his dog in one hand, he's got oh his briefcase and his mobile home in the other. And the next thing I know is I can hear that swirling sound. I was like, uh oh, we're in big trouble because my truck's now stuck in the mud on this farm road oh, uh, wow. south of the mole hole. And um, here comes this tornado, and I can see the moon shining on the tornado, and it's coming at us. We're in trouble. And uh, mm -hmm. it passes about 50 yards west of us. And we make it, 
Um, but uh, you can hear the roar, you can hear stuff flying through the air because remember the first tornado's already been through there and there's debris everywhere. So now the second coming by and picking up all that loose debris and it's, oh. it's flying everywhere. So it's like, oh my gosh, we're, this is where to go. And, um, and so luckily that one passes and then watching that go by us, I mean, at the end of the day, I was pretty much fried. So that was one event. Uh, the other one, a lot of people have heard those stories up in uh, Oregon, Nebraska. Me and Brian starts chasing a, a, a significant, you know, it's kind of a low risk day, but it was a triple point up near Southeast Grand Island. And uh, we, I just had my truck worked on the previous week and had a U-joint changed in it where they changed all the U-joints in it. And uh, of course, keep, you know, uh, cameras or the trucks and the cars you drive in good shape. You have to, we're on the road with them. And you got to, can't afford to have to break down. And uh, we're going down this road, Country Road. It's about, we're doing about 40 miles an hour. And we see the storm out to our west, about 20 miles, not far away. It's a very thunderstorm rain effect. And all of a sudden, I hear this big clang bang come from out of the, underneath the van. And me and Brian looked at each other, and I give it gas, and it's and it's like slowly, slowly, slowly down. And I hear this horrible raucous from the car, and I said, uh-oh, Brian, we had a problem. And uh, the truck, the van stops and uh, comes to rest on the side of the road, and we get out and look, and the U-joint hit back down the uh, uh, transmission because the guy forgot to put one of the clips in the U-joint, so the U-joint exploded. Whoops and it came out of the transmission. So now part of the transmission is on the ground. I'm broken oh inside the road. Oh man. And now it's getting near dark and the uh, storm that was a super solid trip points now moving southeast. It's now producing a quarter mile wide tornado and it's a mile, one mile away and closing in on us. So interesting thing was at that particular second is Kathy had uh, had just called my wife called me. She goes, "Hey, how's it going?" <laughs> <laughs> not going too good right now. Sorry. I said, I said it's not going well at all. I said, "What I'm about to tell you is that uh, the truck just broke down. If we don't make it, this is where we're at." And and she thought she goes, "Oh, you Brian, quit kidding me." She goes, "There's, there's, you guys are fine. Quit just what's where you guys at?" I said, "No, I'm broke down. The tornado's coming. I don't know if we're gonna make it." And I didn't know if we're gonna make it. About that time, this is all true. We've got all this on video, by the way. And now Brian looks out and Brian goes, hey, there's a farmhouse that's got a light on. I think we can make it. We have, But he, what he doesn't tell me is we have to run a quarter mile to the west uphill. And then I have to run. Oh, we yeah. both have to run about a quarter mile north in a field. The whole way I'm, I'm doing an incline. And there's a quarter to baseball hill falling while we. Oh, oh, oh good lord! The best quarter mile time you've yeah. had in a long time. That year, <laughs> that year, I think I broke the Nebraska all-time running. Uh, they could have, they could have brought, brought me in as a football quarterback that year. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I mean, Brian and I took off. Brian was carrying the camera, and we both were even uh, going uphill. And then we broke to the right, headed north up this gravel road to this house. Um, the hearing the roar of the tornado, and I could see the, the fence line, the ridge line, back to my west about a quarter mile, and this tornado is about a half mile wide now. It's moving southeast, and I could see, you know, peripheral, it's dark, but I could see whole trees coming out of the ground like just torpedoes. Oh, and my like, God. Uh, and the winds were out of the east at about 80, and we're dodging hail, and things are zinging overhead, and I get to the front door of this house, and I'm out of breath. And, uh, and I passed Brian about halfway up the driveway and he's making his way up. And I knock on the door real quick. And a lady at the homeowner knew something was wrong. She knew we broke down because she saw us out there. And her name was Mary. I won't tell you her last name, but anyway, nice lady. And knocked on the door and, and uh, I said, do you have a basement? And she wanted to know why I was yelling. And of course, by that time on the front porch in those farm homes up in Nebraska, a lot of places in the West, you have those old metal rails on the front porch. And those were screaming, <gasps> whistling, going, Rah! Because the wind was like 85 miles an hour in the east with flying debris. 
And uh, and about that time, she goes, why do you ask? And, and you know, she's hard to hear, I find out later. And uh, about that time, it's all true, this is crazy. About that time, the, what, the eastern wall of the tornado is now getting rid of pins to the west side of her house. And I've got missile debris, which are boards and trees, puncturing her west walls of the house. And that's what got her attention, because when the west windows broke in, she looked that way, the deal, and she goes, what's that? And I says, tornado, if we don't get to your basement now, we're all going to die. And she unlocked the door at the last second. She went off to the kitchen. Brian was right there. By the time was coming through the gate, and he got to the front lip. You know, they had the old um, seals, the weather seals, you know, raises up you know, the door. Brian trips on that and does a face plant in front oh, of the door geez. with the camera. And the camera's still rolling. You hear the roar of the tornado. And about that time, I can see the roof starting to come off the house. And um, so I follow her. I look, she's electric story out. And I see her dive through the kitchen. I was like, where's she going? And um, we go to the kitchen. And uh, so once I get into the kitchen, she runs down the uh, uh, stairs to the basement. And I'm right behind her. And I see her dive under the pool table. And I'm like, where are me and Brian going to go? <laughs> you know, we're working out here now. And so I... Uh, underneath those old farmhomes they have a lot of they have wash and dryers while i do near or just under the staircase in the basement so me and brian it's pitch black we're trying to feel how we can hide under the stairs and we wedge ourselves under the stairs and i can literally feel the stairs the only way to describe it is i could feel the stairs on my back and the stairs are doing this as the roof and the walls above us are going oh off and they're going off and the air sucking out of the basement the, the dust is falling in on us and all that kind of stuff so uh, that last this, this moment brought to you by Depends. And so after after we went through all that, um, what was amazing on this next scene was just totally incredible. And remember, uh, one of the things I did after I hung up with Kathy is I called 911 and told me we broke down, I trans on the ground, tell the weather service this is where we're located, and this is about where I'm I, I located. And I said, Okay, call us after it passes. That's what the 911 dispatcher told me, and it's a true story, is what they said. And uh, so when we get done and we're going up the stairs to see what's left of the house, uh, the door's still there. As we open the door, uh, the, the homeowner says, get out of my way. I want to see. And the roof was gone. The east wall was gone. And she had a big farm. There's a big family farm there. And the tornado was going through the cornfield. And I could look up and I could see the crescent moon. The, the tornado was still going through the field that we had cows hurt. And then they uh, took the grain silos, the grain uh, you know, the tractors, combine tractors, they're gone. And I hear propane leaking. I can smell diesel. Oh, so the only thing that was staying, and one of the things that was staying on the house was the north wall of the house. And it had the old rotary phone on the north wall of the house because all the lines were buried out there. So I pick up the phone. There's a dial tone. Oh, my like, gosh. I was like, oh, my gosh. I look at it. I said, dial tone. And, and, I, and I dialed, I dialed 911. It's, you know, rotary phone. And the same dispatcher picks up the phone. It goes, there goes, is only uh, one. 911. And I go, what's your mercy? I said, hey. And I, I turn around and look at this lady. I said, what's your name? She says, Mary. And I won't tell you her last name. She goes, I'm Mary so and so. And they go, oh, we know where you're at. He goes, I've got help coming on the way. Now, if you, this next scene is I'm on top of this crest of this meadow on the middle of Nebraska cornfield, and it's pitch black. I and mean, there's nothing. Power's out, electric's out. And you remember the scene with smoking the bandits where you got the police waiting out in the country out in the woods for you to feel the lights on? Well, when when I hung up, I literally saw lights, fire trucks. <gasps> I saw the cavalry coming from every county wow. around was coming in. 
And I mean, as far as you can see, there's lights coming. And about 15 minutes, the first fire truck gets there and the fire chief goes up. He goes, hey, are, are you the storm chaser? I said, yeah. He goes, well, I've got good news for you and bad news. He goes, your truck didn't survive. He goes, it's taken, it's got impelled by the grain elevator. And it did, it was totally impelled. And then he goes, good news is we're all here to help you. And he goes, by the way, the local Chevy dealer is bringing you a Suburban and we're going to get you loaded up so you can get to the hotel tonight. And wow. Goes, nice. Wow. That, that the people of Nebraska was just fantastic. The locals there were fantastic. Mercy management was fantastic. The local Chevrolet dealership was there was fantastic. Um, but later that night, we get to the hotel about one in the morning, me and Brian. This is funny. This is real funny. Don't normally go into this much detail. Do, do I have time to get popcorn? This is awesome. I'm taking a shower. This is true story. And I find corn in my hair. I got corn. I got pieces of corn in my hair. And I'm like, oh, the bathtub's got corn in the Better bathtub. Than the shower. Better than the blood. During the, during the tornado. It's just, it, I mean, this crazy oh stuff. So that's just one encounter I've had. Uh, that was a close one. That was a really close one. That was so, pretty um, close. That's on behalf really of all Nebraskans, though, I'd like to say you're welcome and <laughs> yes. welcome to be one of us. So, yes. yeah, Nebraska <laughs> folks are wonderful. I've had great I still have corn in my hair, too. So, yes. <laughs> it's good, though, to hear the best in people. You know, oh, absolutely. You know absolutely. what I mean? When, when things like that happen, you always see the best out of people. Oh, sure. Well, Jeff, I'm going to ask you this. That was, that was, I, I think we should probably end the show on that because that's yeah. pretty good. We're going to be that's pretty good. We're just but, uh, I've got hundreds of stories I, like listen, that. I, I, I do want to hear a little bit about one, one of the biggest uh, reasons I, we actually reached out to you at one point a few months back was because of Hurricane Harvey that you have previously mentioned. Uh, so, so that, that obviously caught a lot of, a lot of footage and a lot of viewers and, um, I guess tell us a little bit. How did you end up where you ended up? How did you pick that target spot and and find the local? I think you were in a car wash or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then I heard something about your you were talking to your wife and something went out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, tell tell us a little bit of that Hurricane so, Harvey you know, story. What's your Hurricane Harvey? You know the models of uh, the National Hurricane Center, Weather Service, um, and, the, and the models, quite frankly, between the year on the GFS and the Hurricane Wharf, the models have gotten better every year. They're just they're good. And, uh, and of course, the models, you know, watch this wave coming off Africa, going to Southern Caribbean. And, and it's like, you know, four or five days out, it's like, you know, hey, it's starting to look like it might be a hurricane. And then, hey, it might be a major hurricane. And the models are kind of hinting that. So as we start getting with that 72-hour window and the models are really bullseye, you know, between Corpus Houston, Houston area is going to have some kind of landfall. And uh, just kind of focusing on that. About two days before I had a business meeting, a couple of days before that hurricane in Texas, left uh, Dallas, went to Corpus, uh, got there late at night, almost midnight. And then uh, the next morning, you just kind of refine, once you get in the zone, the area, then you kind of look at it, you know, is this thing gonna wobble back to the West? Uh, Hurricane Center had a really good job going just barely east of Corpus uh, a couple of days out. And uh, it, at that point, it was like getting down to the, uh, once you're on the ground there, is you have to talk to the local emergency management, talk to the police, talk to the people that live there. You know, uh, what hurricanes you've been through before, what areas is going to flood, what roads are going to flood, uh, look at the storm surge area, look at the buoy data. And at that point, kind of make, start looking for places to film from. Is there any parking garages? Is there, um, am I going to be above the flood? you got to also not only look at the building you're in, but what buildings are next to you. And the, the moral of the message you just saw during Hurricane Harvey, it wasn't necessarily the building where I was located. I could have been, there's a hotel just a block away to other chases, right? And half the building, one end, came off a five-story 
uh, hotel, fairly new building, was ripped off. So Jeez. it didn't matter where you're at. You, you've got to you weigh those options out. But a lot of times, it's not the building that I may be in, like a parking garage. It's like, what's next to me? Is that an older structure that may fail? It's what's downwind of you or upwind of you. Is yeah. that structure going to fail and impel you or come towards you? And that's what you, it's, it's a scouting mission. So when you get on the ground, you've got a lot of due diligence to make you know, mobile homes, and there's a lot of mobile homes and fifth wells down there because uh, there's a lot of seasonal people that go to the coast in the, in the, in the uh, summer months and winter months. So th that's how you kind of scope those areas out. And the only that I could find that made sense to me was the car wash was north-south oriented, and it had kind of the, uh, a number of the walls because I knew the winds were going to be east to east-northeast at 100 to 140 uh, as I wall approaches, and I wanted to put as many walls between me and the flying debris, so that's why I got it kind of on the west side of the car wash, so I had as many walls between me and whatever was going to be coming in from the east. That's exactly what happened, and unfortunately, we had a a tornado, um, there were small tornadoes inside the eye wall, no doubt about it. You see it both on the Doppler, out of Corpus, and you could tell it by, um, visually people saw it too, but you could actually have small tornadoes in the eye walls, it was, it was little wobbles inside, and um, we had a vortex hit the building next to us. It was like a CVS type little drugstore, and that's what exploded and came in front of the uh, mm. car wash, and that's when the, all the debris was coming raining down on us when we got hit. Just about that time, uh, I had, I was right across from the cell tower, I had a Verizon phone, uh, had good, fairly good connection, but when I got in the vehicle, it broke whatever signal I had, and the signal went dead right after that, and of course, what happened, a lot of people thought I got crushed or got killed inside the car wash, but I didn't, I'm still here, so uh, luckily I uh, survived that, but we, we take all the precautions as necessary out there, and, uh, but Harvey got, it did, definitely got scary, it was loud, and that last three or four miles of the eye wall was absolutely super wicked it was about as wicked as it can be wow yep. your wife's gonna have a lot of faith in you because you're putting yourself in harm's way a lot well but you do you do things in a safe manner it may not look safe right. on, the, on the viewing when people right. see a periscope or stuff I, and i don't like nightfall landing hurricanes i can tell you officially i hate landfalling hurricanes tonight it's scary you got you can't see things mm -hmm. um if there's debris in the road, you can't see what you're driving over. The telephone poles lines down. It's just very risky with landfalling hurricanes at nighttime. And they're scary, too. Let's be honest. They're scary. Hey, Jeff, I, oh, do you ahead. drink coffee? Excuse me? <laughs> you drink coffee? <laughs> Not yet. You just Not get to talk yet. about weather, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm like, you go, Jeff, man. I, you go. I always wonder, when you're in a, a hurricane like that, do you – you said you saw the tornadoes because you I always wonder I've never been in one like no, that. So I, you wondered, can you actually see the tornado when all those whipping winds as it is? The only time. No, I didn't see a tornado that night. At Darren Harvey is that watching the radar and watching the pressure drops and also you can literally hear it. And the way to describe a hurricane, you can see this in the daytime in the video. You could definitely see it with uh, uh, Nate and uh, Irma is that. As you watch the winds, if you get uh, every time a band comes in, you may have winds 120, let's say 100 to 120 overhead at two, three, four thousand feet above your head. And as that band comes in and then heavy rain forces those high winds to the ground, you literally, if it's daylight, you can watch uh, two miles, three, four miles down the road, not far if it's if you're in the heavy rain, you can literally watch the surge of wind coming. You can literally, sometimes you can hear the wave of damage coming at you. You literally, if, you, if you're in a metropolitan area, 
and you have damage, you have roofs or windows breaking two miles from you, you're hearing this clanging, banging sound, and it will get louder and louder as that wave of damaging winds come at you. And you can see it coming, so you prepare yourself because you can see trees falling. You can see roofs a block or two blocks away coming off, so you know that surge is going to hit you. You need to you know, get beyond the building. You need a duck or whatever, but you can hear it. You can see them in daytime. You can see these surges of wind and damage occur. Absolutely positive. I've seen it many, many times. Yep. Wow. Daytime. Yep. And other times you get the little small spin ups. The tornadoes and hurricanes are hard. It's more the outer bands, not literally the eye wall, but you get more the, the small tornadoes around the outer bands. I've only seen that a couple of times with some of the hurricanes. Yeah. Okay. If Spielberg let, let me calls ask you this. to do a movie, I hope you, hope you get to play yourself. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You think at some point that happens. <laughs> so, so, Jeff, tell me a little bit about how, um, for severe storms, how do you go about picking your target area? Yeah. Well, what, what resources are you using? I use everything at my disposal. I, and you look, I mean, uh, let's let's look at the big 30,000 foot picture. The GOES R16, rapid scan satellite, massive breakthrough in technology. I'm a big technology guy and I love uh, that type of technology. The SPC page, cell surface test page, where's the, uh, gosh, where's the moisture flux for the day? Where's the cap? Where's the instability? Where's the wave located at? I look at that hourly, a lot of times on the bigger days. Um, look at the HH, uh, HRR model looking at three kilometer wharf, looking at the high res models as we get closer to the event and looking at where the most likely area of the best storm of the day. It's not necessarily the biggest tornado. A lot of times you may want to go to, I don't want to be in the heavy rain. I don't want to be north of the warm front. Maybe I want to be where it's a little bit more capped and I want to see something more, a little bit more photogenic. So I want to get back where I know the cap's going to hold on a little bit longer. It may not, tornadoes early and may not see as many, but it may be more photogenic. So you, as the day involves, it's very fluid and dynamic like the weather. You gotta, you gotta be nimble, you gotta be flexible. And just because you may have a target of Wichita and two o'clock things look better at Oklahoma City, you might kind of you know, start fudging back toward Oklahoma City. So you gotta be a little bit nimble in that, in that regard. Wow, that's, that's an interesting topic you just brought up, like where you think it'll be capped yeah. a little longer. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I get it, okay. What, you know, what about you, your vehicle? What about your vehicle setup, Jeff? What does that look like? Uh, today, it's an electric car. <laughs> really? really? Not, not kidding. Um, wow. I, I, I know that would, that would throw you. Um, I, you know, I, I sold both of my uh, gas vehicles earlier this year. Uh, Kathy had a Honda Pilot, and I had a, a, a 2002 um, Chevrolet Avalanche. It had almost 200,000 miles on 300, yeah, 200,000 miles. And um, I saw both of those earlier in the year, and I've been driving an electric car all year, and I love it. I think once people <clears throat> understand electric cars and the torque in them and the availability, whether it be a Tesla 3 or an S or whatever, or uh, the Volt, Chevy Volt, or any of those kind of cars, or the Leaf, which I'm driving now, um, gosh, I think the electric cars going forward in time, not only just storm chasing, but uh, general transportation, is I think it's absolutely going to take over the industry. It, it is already happening. I mean, when people look at that and drive, but I'm, I'm all excited about electric cars. I have been for a while, and uh, but I think uh, that's going to be the wave of the future, absolutely, did, no doubt about it. Did you, did you just say the current car you have is a Leaf? Yes. So you're driving a Leaf in storm. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I've, irony there. I have, I've taken the leaf out about four times now, not across Kansas, <laughs> along with the short little drives just north, you know, where I'm at within 50 miles of Tulsa, and uh, just do a short little chase with it. But I've done it four or five times. But the next vehicle coming next year, uh, it'll have about a three to 350 mile range. So it'll be much farther, rapid recharge, and I'm set to go. 
This that commercial brought to you by <laughs> Tesla. Well, they need to get you as their spokesman. I know. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think I really, I'm going to tell you this. When you look at the greatest cost, and there's a lot of other things I'll, I'll tell you about, the greatest cost in all transportation today, no matter who you are, raising a family, kids, um, anything, it's it's fuel, it's, it's the car payments, insurance. And if you can eliminate, uh, bring that fuel cost down, you know, 50%, 75%, 80% from what you normally spend, and you're doing it with electric, uh, I think once more people go that direction and they really find out the benefits, I mean, I've cut my fuel bill by 600 a month, 700 a month, just in fuel savings and insurance. Wow. Yep, yep. I recharge the car at seven cents. It cost me to go 100 miles. It cost me a dollar seventy to totally charge my car from empty to full. I, okay. Like tonight, I, I went into town, run some errands, came back, and it's just 80 percent, 75 percent. Plug the car in, and 30 minutes later, I've got a full charge. I can run around all day Saturday. Go to 10 different stores. Go run around. Do all you can do. And I did all that for a dollar seventy. I mean, when people figure this stuff out, I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, driving gas cars going forward um unless you drive 150 miles every day and i think even that's you know with the new cars coming out of 300 mile range that's that's not a big deal but anyway yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm big on, on electric i think that's yeah, that's yeah but you got to get sponsors and put that on the side yeah, of your no car kidding. i'm just saying right now but yeah we'll see all right well yeah. let, we'll keep things moving jeff how can listeners find and follow you on social media yeah. um so twisterchasers.com um on the, the main website and uh, then Jeff underscore Petrosky for on Twitter. And then we got Periscope followers. We have a lot of Periscope followers. And I uh, have to say, I have to thank all the Periscope followers that watched us during Hurricane Harvey because there were lots of them out there. And, uh, and then the Blue Shed uh, became very popular overnight. The Blue Shed that was filming in front of the uh, car wash <laughs> became very, very famous, <laughs> as we all know. Thank you for tuning in to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. You can watch our bi-weekly show live on youtube.com slash stormfrontfreaks and download the audio version on your favorite podcast player. For links to our Patreon team of exclusive benefits, show notes, past shows, new videos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out our interactive chaser radar from our friends at zoomradar.com. If you'd like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Search for Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.